this is something I wanted to ask you because you brought it up before. You said like there's, there's a conjunction of uh, Venus and Jupiter at the moment. Yeah, exactly. They're in the exact same degree in Pisces wow. and late Pisces. Um, so it, it appears very bright in the sky. It must. Yeah, no, you can right? see it in the morning. You'll see them both. They're not exactly on each other because of um, the positions above or below the ecliptic, but they're very, very close. And I think I saw them the other morning. Yeah. Because yeah. um, they're, you said Venus and Jupiter. Yeah, they're both bright. Because those bright. are the bright ones. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what the hell so, is that? <laughs> so this brings us back to this brings us right back to Hamlet, right? Because when the ghost appears. He's associated oh. with a star in the sky, yeah. a particular yeah. star in the sky. Yes. And, but this is amazing. This is where it, this is where it gets f- fucking mind blowing for me, because um, if you go back into these deeper myths, these older myths, like the uh, uh, Icelandic sagas and even even older, right? The, the stuff that's outlined in Hamlet's Mill, um, you find out that his father is this guy called uh, Orvendil or something. It, 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 um, there are different names for them, but one of his names is Aardendil, right? And do you, does that ring a bell for anybody? Aardendil. Yeah. Um, Sounds like the stuff that Tolkien was stealing from, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. This is one of the, the and, and you look at uh, <laughs> Tolkien had, he would have these auditory hallucinations where these words would come to him from the elvish right like in in other languages even when he was in fighting in the trenches in world war one you know and all of this stuff like he tolkien claims that his invention of the elvish and stuff was given to him like and and so that that his his middle earth stuff is not so much him creating it on his own but it being revealed to him right Mm -hmm. and so that figure, Arundel in Tolkien, right? I don't know if you know Tolkien so much, but he was, uh, this character, Arundel was the, uh, he brings one of the Silmarils, one of these bright um, jewels, right? That everybody's trying to get. And he brings it over to the Undying Land and offers it to the, to basically the gods of the Undying Land to try to convince them to, come to middle earth and fight against morgoth who's the sort of satan figure and that's what happens right that's what happens and so he becomes so so the gods come they 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 banish morgoth there's a big war they banish morgoth to the uh the void basically um but arundel because he um he did this and he represents men and elves right because he did that he's awarded um with this ship in the sky and the Silmaril, one of the Silmarils becomes his star, right? And Tolkien's explicit about it, that it's Venus, right? It's, it's his star is Venus, right? And so this goes, so you read this, the Hamlet's Mill stuff, and that is Hamlet's father, is Arundel. Like, it's just, uh, um, I'll just read this. Uh, these guys don't talk about Tolkien. Like, I don't, I don't know, like, I think this book came out 69 or something. I don't know why they didn't know. Well, I don't know. They weren't, they hadn't read Tolkien, but it's like the father of Saxo Amlethus was Horvalendulis, written also as Orendil, Orentel, Eorendil, Orvandil, uh, Orvandil, and, and so on, right? And, and they mentioned this one poem that was also an inspiration for, for, uh, for Tolkien. It says, Hail, Arundel, brightest of angels, thou sent unto men upon this middle earth. Thou art the true refulgence of the sun, radiant above the stars, and from thyself illuminous forever all the tides of time. Wow. That sounds like a Gnostic thing. Again, going back to that. Wow. Yeah, so that's and then it's identified with Venus, right? The experts uh, disagree whether Arundel here points to Christ or to Mary, or uh, that that's our own yeah. old theme too. And whether or not Venus as a morning star is meant as an identification which offers itself. The other possibility is that it's serious, um, and yeah. they get into that as well. Um, well, the sun of the morning. I mean, this is the whole thing. And and talking about wormwood, and I mean, the morning Lucifer, star, right? Is Lucifer, Lucifer or Jesus? There's times. Yeah, when, yeah. The, you know, the twins, so the twins again, right? Like the the, the, the serious, two. yeah, serious A and B. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, 
sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, yeah, that's that's it. Um, but that it's just a, it's a mind blower that this is Hamlet's father, you know. Yeah. And that Hamlet's father, as a ghost, identified with this one star, which could be which could be Venus, could be Sirius, who who knows? Right? That is a mind blower. That's like a bomb that would go off yeah. because of the of the. Um, it's just too similar. The name mm -hmm. is too similar to to discount it. I mean, sure, it could be a random coincidence, but I, I no, you're talking what, about yeah. what? What is the? Uh, um, yeah, it's not even it's not even disputed. I don't think like it. it this is coming from this Icelandic uh, um, myth that I read, which uh, Ham, uh, Shakespeare is directly drawing on, and his name okay. in this story is uh, is Arundel. You know. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, no, yeah, that's. But I mean, it tells us just how I was. I was gonna. I was thinking about the Vedic too because I was just. I may turn some of my historical documentaries I've been tapped into, but that's what I do. It's like there's nothing to watch. It's like fuck it. I'm just gonna go to YouTube. There's so many of them. I'll throw one of those on, and it just it grabs my attention. But some of the stuff about the Rig Veda. I wonder if they talk about that in Hamlet's Mill at all, because those are. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, what is the character like in the. Uh, is it Yama is is the uh, is the sort of counterpart for Hamlet in the uh, in the Indian mythology? Let me see. Uh, Let me get it up here. Hamlet and the Vedas. Let's see here. Because that would be because um, now we're start we're, we're, we're talking about. Um, yeah, it's Yama is the is the is the character in the in the Rig Veda. Okay, because that's you know when, if we can make a connection and there's a clear analogy in the Rig Veda to something similar, then I think we're you know now even more evidence of a, of a kind of substrate of reality that that is being tapped into here. Um, I know that there is something here about Arjuna, Hamlet and Arjuna from the Bhagavad Gita. Um, but um, so Ayama, is that what you say here? Yama? Uh, yeah, Y A M A. Okay, Yama Hinduism. There we go. Okay. Yeah, um, uh, just a sec. He's got, he's, there's a direct quote on that when you said the second, the second uh, Google result was a Japanese restaurant called Yama. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll find it in here. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, um, it feels like what we've had, what's happened with Hamlet is we, we just another doorway into, you know, this, this kind of larger, uh, creative and spiritual kind of energy. <laughs> yeah. In, um, they're claiming that the same myth happens in the uh, the Finnish Kalevala, which is that is an, an incredible piece of work. It's it's the Finnish epic, um, which is it was only assembled in the, the kind of nineteenth century. Like there again, it's creating a national myth, right? But the story, the Hamlet story, in that is is based on this guy called uh, Kalervo, and. Uh, Tolkien also does a huge study of him, you know, like he, he, there's a, there's a book out on Tolkien's uh, translation of, of the Kalervil story. Oh um, shit. So it's like a. So there's another thing that's just come up here. Um, I, I just clicked a link and it's something called Bloodborne. It looks like a video game, but Yamura name is likely the mix of two Japanese words. Yama meaning mountain, mountain or yeah. meaning village or more curiously hamlet so no, I'm just, I'm just, that's, that's, that's just a synchronicity that's from google <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty wild as well yeah hamlet the, the yamamura the, the hamlet and the, and the yama mountain well actually i live i live in hayama yeah oh. which is which is mountains as well it's like a you know, and it's and it's a village. <laughs> so now we're doing like some old school sync thread here. There's something we're, we're pulling now. <laughs> That's cool. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just trying to find this this one reference to the uh, Hamlet uh, Yama. 
Doug, um, you're you're fading, or are you are you uh, are you okay? I'm just I'm just thinking, doing a lot of thinking here. <laughs> yeah, take it away, Doug. Like uh... I know it's late there. So <laughs> it's late. not that late. We started an hour earlier, which makes it way easier. Cool. Yeah, we would just be finishing the 42 minutes at this point. We would have started. I mean, well, we would have been moving into our second hour. You might as well say it again then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was 42 minutes. <sighs> um, uh, what do you think about? I'm, I'm just curious because I know you're maybe more sensitive to this or just like the cult. I want to come back to this. I know I, I, I was like asking you kind of indirectly earlier, but the kind of like syncretic syncretism versus like the appropriation side and like these boundaries of things. And do you feel like that's something that is like a new phenomena? I mean, it seems like I that's think game. maybe it's immediate for you, maybe in your astrology arena, do you think? It is because there's like a, I mean, it's right now it's less astrology, but it's astrology um, uh, tang with, tangential with the occult right. world because there was yeah. like so, this woman that got canceled for like her wiser books. It, these things appear in these online occult slash astrological communities. Um, so yes, I would say, yeah, it's more immediate for me. Absolutely with that. But I see it also like in a larger con uh, cultural context of just like um, clothing or fashion. It just you know, and there's a whole conversation right now in like the contemporary scene about this that feels like relatively new, like the past five to 10 years, it's sort of emerged as an important, important consideration. Um, uh, sorry, what, I, I missed your question to Doug. So what, what is, I was the, just, uh, I was curious about the kind of cultural appropriation and I, I'm more asked Doug oh, yeah, just because okay. I know you're in like Boise. It's kind of like, it's kind of like an Austin and you're like around tree fort these, and these kind of festivals can kind of take on sometimes the cultural sort of what's important in the culture where, you know, maybe that's a conversation you've come across, uh, you know, was not really, I mean, it seems like just the big, actually, you know, uh, Kirby Ferguson, um, who did the, uh, he did the, everything is a remix video series. Oh. And then he did, this is a, con um, conspiracy or the, I don't remember what I confused the two names. Um, this is not a conspiracy theory or something like that. He did it. He did a conspiracy. He did the everything is a remix and then did the conspiracy series. And then he redid the remix. And then just recently he made a cultural or he made an appropriation video, but it also had to do with remixing like that line between mm -hmm. what is, what is healthy artistic practice and what is, um, you know, like out of bounds or maybe inappropriate because okay. what, like what you're saying, that is something that seems like um, is important in different artistic arenas. Like I'm thinking more about music, you know, but I'm so out of touch. I don't know that I'm, I just, I turned 50 since we talked last time. Oh, happy birthday. Happy 50. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah um, so i don't even know what that means like in the scheme of things we celebrate 40 and right you know that's uh it's 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 your pentecostal year <laughs> what's his name kirby uh what's his last name kirby ferguson ferguson okay i'm gonna see if i can pull that because it sounds like an interesting video he sounds like I, he he's pretty thoughtful i mean and so he says like I, I'm a white guy and here I am talking about these things, you know, so take that, you know, cause like that's part of the conversation too. Right. Like who, awesome. yeah. who gets to talk? I mean, who everyone gets to, gets to talk, but why, like, what do we value at this point in time? Yeah, so if we got in, if, 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 we, if we want to take a more conspiratorial lens to this, it's like, uh, yeah, you notice this trend in, um, academia in general right where you you have all this all these texts in the early half of the 20th century and then into the 19th century for a long time like all, all this comparative stuff like comparative religion um, comparative culture um, but that has fallen 
completely out of favor, right? Yeah. In in um in and being replaced with just looking at um the symbols within whatever culture you're looking at, like self-contained and not making compa- comparisons. Um for maybe the justified reason that that uh the comparisons that we might be making are like it, just inventions of our own uh, of our own scholarship, right? But uh but what that has the effect of doing is is uh, stopping these sort of syncretic plays of like synchronicity that we're doing right now. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. and and so that then it just seamlessly segues into this idea of like, yeah, cultural appropriation. You can't even um, you can't even do this mixing and melding. And I think it's through the mixing and melding that you do reach these huge conclusions, right? Like that, that you do tap into these deeper things. Um, and so, well, maybe, so we talked about that that's... with Ulysses, like, like you would have to handle that really carefully. Like he is writing Molly Bloom, right? Right. And should he be writing Molly Bloom? It, uh, as a, as a man, you mean? <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, right. so like, especially as a man telling the world, you know, about a woman's sexual appetite. How, how a woman thinks, yeah. Yeah. And whether or not, you know, is this a projection of his fantasy or is that, you know, if he's, does he have some kind of insight? Yeah. If, if he's tapping into these deeper currents, then, uh, and that's, and Joyce believed that, you know, it's like that then, then, uh, then why not, you know? Well, it gets into this is where I, my issue with it partially is that it actually becomes discriminatory in a certain sense because, or it's infinitely regressive because if you can't talk or write about anything other than your direct experience, then let's just stop all writing. And you just have a video camera on your forehead and it's just a live stream and that's all we ever get. You know, is you know, do you see what I'm saying? It's like well, I talked to a lot of the writers that, on this. Uh, no, no, no. I, but yeah. like, uh, you have to handle it very carefully because it seems like now that there are more seats at the table, like you have to. It just seems like we're we're considering more perspectives, which is great. You know, that's yeah. that. I I think that's amazing. But um, me too. But to outlaw, I love that. To, but to outlaw, though, making comparisons is it, that's where it goes all wrong, you know? Um, well, not only that, but if you're going to write characters, I would want someone to try to write in a diverse set of characters, right? Like that would be important to, if, like, let's say you're a realist novelist. I had a friend, actually, a guy I knew back in Austin. He was at the Missioner Center, popular young writer. Really, he had a, his first book was really famous. They called it the, all quiet on the Western front of the Iraq war, really successful mm-hmm. book. And they made a movie and, but his second novel, he got canceled and he was writing, he's from Virginia, like, and he was writing about the, that period in the 19th century. So the slave stuff, and they got mad at him for basically, I think having care, writing characters that were slaves, but, but what was he supposed to do? Pretend that wasn't real or, you know, so mm-hmm. it just gets like, I feel like I would want to encourage writers to try their best to have a, if they're going to do realism around an era, to include the marginalized, to try to write and just do the best they can, right? To of course, yeah. make it honest and make it, you know, and, um, you know, but yeah, I hear you, Doug. I mean, yeah, it is, it is a, it is a, you know, how do you do how it's done and, and is a big deal. And, but I think what we're seeing today is that they're saying like, you can't even try to do it. Like you shouldn't because of your, particular background you shouldn't even try well now i mean i do think that the thing that i hear is there's there's stories that you shouldn't tell like that's not really your story to tell Mm -hmm. and so like that's the gray zone like where so like a, a good example is like um like uh the anthropologists who went in and kind of mined like native cultures and then like they become the authority on something that i mean yeah they spent their time there but then is that really their story to tell you know what i mean Mm -hmm. 
there's a writer that I really liked in my youth. His name was Tony Hillerman and he was like a, yeah. a white guy. And he, he really appreciated all the Navajo mystery traditions. And he, you know, they, they appreciated him and they, you know, thought of him as was one of their own, but at the same time, you know, he's still an outsider. And so if you had an insider, that could be better, but that doesn't mean that he shouldn't still enjoy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, yeah, this is a, this is a complicated one. And I just, something in me really bristles at that. It's not your story to tell like that phrase, but feels so like, like if so if wrong wanted, to me, like, but go ahead, go ahead, Doug. Sorry. Like you can write about where you live. Right. But like, you're not, you're part of that culture, but you're not really part of that culture. Like I, I'm speaking about you literally living in a, in a foreign country. Well, both of us. right? Yeah. And so like you, you would have your perspective, but you're not like, they're going to have a story that's much different than your story. Mm, no, but they're there. So this is because let's break this down because this is fascinating. I think we can, we can, I think we're going to get back to some of the Hamlet conversation, but so for me, just a couple of quick points here. Like, I don't think there's a them and us that 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 that, that distinction breaks down. But if you, you move to a community that's not your own, yeah, like you're not even that nationality, and and you're inhabiting a space, you, you know, you're an outsider until yeah, but- you are an insider and how do you become an insider <laughs> exactly what don't. is the inside and outside and how do you become in versus but it depends out? on how you define your community and so then yeah. we get back to the joyce which is i'm i'm a nation yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah exactly like what about someone who's born so just to go back i'm thinking about my hometown now can i even talk about austin I was born there. It's my whole life. That's my main city. And but maybe I have no grounds to even talk about that because I'm an outsider because the my you know people that if you trace the ancestors back, my dad came there in 1978. My mother's family came there in um, around the same time, late 70s. So I should so would I be excluded from telling that story? you know and so i mean it's regressive it goes it's just regressive like no one can tell any story even natives they came from the land bridge from asia so they don't get to tell the story go ahead go ahead you can add on to that as well it's like yeah um because like for me also i've lived in japan for so long that if i come back to my my hometown which has changed so much since i've uh since i've lived there and i've changed so much I'm an outsider already. Like it's like a, even even though my my family has deep generational roots in in that in that place, you know. But I'm still I, I'm still I, I have become an outsider. I'm an exile, and that's what that's what Joyce called himself as well. You know, it's like he's he's always talking about uh, Ireland and Dublin, but he's looking at it he, he's looking at it through the lens of him being an outsider and an, and and an exile. You know. Um, so that's interesting, and I think that, that that goes back to Hamlet too. Like Hamlet, Hamlet is an, an outsider, right? Like he he has no connections in his world, you know. Um, like he he's the one who's noticing that time is out of joint, you know. That the, this is his, his whole his whole society, his whole country is falling apart, you know. Quickly, what's his backstory? Do we know where Hamlet was? He like outside of the capital and like traveling and then he hears about the dad and then he comes back in is he literally an, an exile or do we have a sense of his backstory or was he here the whole time or he was a student right like so he's studying so that's part of there's a big mystery about hamlet like how old is he, is he you know and you don't get like you get the sense reading hamlet that he's like a like a student he's a college student right yeah. so he's got to so be he's, 18 to 20 well, yeah. So you get this 17. idea that he's the same age, maybe as Stephen Dedalus, like nineteen to twenty-two or whatever, like that—that that sort of age. Um, but then, if you go to the uh, the gravedigger scene, right? The gravedigger is saying there's a that, math fact there that kind of breaks down, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Well, just yeah. So so the gravedigger is saying like uh, the gravedigger got his job as a gravedigger thirty years ago, 
right? And then Hamlet is like, uh, when did you when did you start being a grave digger? And he said, I started the same day that Hamlet's father. This is an interesting part. We haven't talked about this. The the sort of like uh, geopolitics involved in the in the play. Like uh, yeah. it was the same the same day that Hamlet's father. Um, threw down Fortinbras, the original uh, king of Norway, right? Uh-huh. And that happens to be the same day that Prince Hamlet was born, which is Hamlet, who, who he's talking, who's the grave digger is talking to. So he ends up being. So they're 30, saying Hamlet, thirty years old, or thirty. Yeah, and and then there's in that passage, there's another reference where he's saying like, uh, um, he's talking about your experience, twenty three years in the ground. Yeah, twenty three years in the in the ground, and if if Hamlet remembers Yorick. Um, like hugging him all the time and having him in his arms and whatever. Like Hamlet was probably around seven years old, right? Um, when Yorick died, you know? So, so again, in, in that same scene, there's like two references to, to how old Hamlet, Hamlet is. But that like 30, you know, it's like he's still studying when he's 30. And then that seems a bit strange, you know? Um, but then if you go back to these sort of older myths, right? Like uh, Hamlet goes to England and he doesn't come back for like a year or so. Like a, a full year in, in that story, in the Icelandic story, he doesn't come back for a full year afterwards, right? Um, but maybe there's an indication that he even spends more time there, you know? So we don't... Uh, so yeah, it's weird. It's weird, like how, how old Hamlet is. Like, like some people think that maybe Shakespeare made a mistake about that, but I, I it's doubt like that's like a continuity the case. error. <laughs> yeah, but it's like uh, Joyce in, in Ulysses has said, "Geniuses don't make mistakes." <laughs> it reminds me of the Jesus, the lost years of Christ. Right? There's all these questions of maybe he was in. Um, Pakistan and you know this this kind of idea of where did he come from yeah, what yeah. knowledge does he have and then he returned Saint, Saint Isa yeah yeah Isa Isa exactly so that's interesting just to go back to the Christ meta, uh, connection of Hamlet that, and and the Christ connection like Christ starts his his mission at age 30 like his mission on earth is only from age 30 to age 33 right uh-huh. um, so so that that would that would make sense too with the parallel of of Christ and Hamlet you know is there a John the Baptist because you think about the I don't know the Christ stuff as well as I maybe should but you know isn't there kind of an initiation it's making me wonder like how does the Christ story open like he's just walking down the street or just but basically he gets baptized pretty quickly by John the Baptist I'm wondering what happens before that but maybe that's the ghost scene in a way where you have this kind of this triggering event and then he's sent on this journey you know yeah exactly right like a um well he yeah so he yeah he 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 gets initiated by john the baptist but we don't hear from the the yeah there's this huge gap in his life the the uh all that we hear about his childhood like of course we hear we hear the his birth story and then we hear that he was working as a carpenter with his father joseph right uh-huh. And that he and that he went to went to the temple, but then there's yeah. this massive gap, and then you don't hear from him until the uh, John the Baptist. So it starts. It, is that basically where it hits the ground running? It's like that day. Well, or I don't know. Well, there's there's different versions, right? Like this, the the four gospels, right? So um, I'm just curious. Yeah, I did pretty pretty much. Yeah, this is really weird because I I had planned for a long time to read the King James version of the Bible, and so it's. I, I planned it so that I would do it this day, uh, May first. So I'm going to start reading it now. You know, like wow. to, today. Um, so if you guys want to join in on that one, like that, uh, <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm doing it for 40 days and 40 nights. You know, like just to make Wait, it. Uh, so that's interesting because I did. I set out. Well, that was one of my early sync things. Like, um, so I was definitely trying to read the Bible also yeah especially the king james version for the reasons that we've been discussing right well i think but that was also part of my fun too was to try and figure out like what what version made sense for me at that point in time Mm. 
I think I, I'm with you at this point in time that the poetry of the King James Version is superior. Poetry and then and then the hermeticism that we've been talking about too, like the the, the fact that Francis Bacon and a, a, a big committee of people put it together, right? And and then just the uh, just the literary influence of that Bible, you know, and the influence on language, you know. So, oh yeah. Um, well, so we call it the King James Bible. Did he? What did he have to do with it? Just the fact that he was the king at the time? Yeah, he sponsored the whole thing. Right? He sponsored like he, it, yeah. He spearheaded yeah, he put, the mission of, yeah. Right. Because he kind of had a witch thing, a witch. Um, he definitely had a witch fetish. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he tortured witches and or ladies and made them, uh, yeah, what is that called? confess to their witchy crimes king james did directly yeah well yeah, i think I he'd like to watch hmm. i mean i don't, according I don't know that's what i read <laughs> <laughs> um and so that's where shakespeare like that's kind of where uh, macbeth may have grown from that's interesting too, because that's Agrippa and these guys who are talking about the two types of melancholy. They call the first type the melancholy of witches, you know, hmm. which is which is the melancholy that uh, attracts evil spirits. You become possessed by evil spirits, and so that's why the uh, Hamlet is doubting that at the beginning. He doesn't know which which ghost it is that he's actually seeing, you know? but. Uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. So, so I don't know. Yeah, that's sort of the dark side of the Renaissance. Um, well, and then past the Renaissance is sort of the, the the witch the witch hunt. So, so maybe there's that side of it is to try to wipe out the sort of um, indigenous wisdom based in the oral tradition, especially of women, right? And make it sort of a more patriarchal view of things, where it's it, it becomes a ceremonial magic, um, dominated by the priests, dominated by men, right? Like this. Well, I think about it. I'm just thinking about you know. You hear this, people say, "Well, it's a modern day witch hunt," um, and and they usually say that when they're going after. So, for example. I don't know. I'm thinking about it in the natural health field right now, just because of what we just have gone through with the COVID moment and everything, but where there's kind of a, uh, I feel like the witch hunts were maybe just to, to um, codify and kind of um, cohere the institutional power of myth-making, you know, mm -hmm. and, but even maybe even like um, just like in our, in our modern age, what would you control to control the society? Well, you have to control health, medicine, uh, money, Bank of England is founded, 1694, media. media, exactly, ideas, you know, and so, um, you know, maybe that there's a certain idea that these witches were basically saying, look, I'm my own media, like the witches were their own YouTube channel or something like this. Their own medium. <laughs> their own medium. Yeah. And so yeah. they have to be purged because you can't have these competing authorities well, that's right. It's it's democratic. It's decentralized. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And this this is this is the struggle that I see. It's not it's not uh, like people try to frame it as Christianity against the occult conspiracy or whatever. And but it it's not that. It's like this sort of democratic, decentralized form of mysticism, and then this highly centralized authoritarian patriarchal um, version of that, like appropriation of that. That's the original appropriation, right? And uh, it gets dominated and monopolized by, by, by the priests, basically, right? Like uh, either the priests are Christian or Illuminati or you know, now the, the scientific priests, like the scientist priests, right? Who, who have their own specialized knowledge that we're not supposed to have any say in, you know? Yeah. Just fundamentally, I mean, and you go back to like the Romans where they, they would say, I'm the God, I'm the Roman mm. emperor, and you can't talk about me, you know, anything I say goes, this kind of authoritarian 
was really what is what you would call it, uh, kind of these edicts or of an of a of a veridical, you know, uh, um, juridical, veridical. I'm just you know the idea of just truth, you know, something that can be an unchallenged truth, and then right. the edicts that are delivered from that place of authority and. Um, you know, this is the moment with like Musk buying Twitter. We got to drop this in here. You know, the idea right. of Twitter as a collective brain that is a flow of ideas, or is it going to be a kind of uh, controlled medium? And this is just to go back to what you were saying earlier. I think part part of why I bristle at the idea of like that's not your story to tell. It's like says who? Like why can't I Let's... tell any story? Right? Because if I have an imagination and my creative powers have ignited, at what point is it just? Like, a, what do they call it? a minstrel show? Like, there's the line between where you're profiting off something, right? Versus, yes. I mean, so you can tell any story you want. And I don't, I mean, I, I think uh, if people vote with their dollars, you know, one day, um, you know, whatever is to come from what, you know, the story that you tell, you know, that will, that'll be the case. But it just, I mean, there's, with, there's without a, kind of, I just want to make sure, like the point I'm just making, you can kind of see, I agree with you. So like, like I don't, I don't know that, and everything um, is, is bad, but the idea but like, of having an authority that can decide who gets well, to it, tell. I don't what, know what authority it is. It's that Twitter brain. That's the authority. <laughs> the AI. So yeah. The idea that, no, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's the, uh, the mood you know, it's the mood of the people and the people are everyone making the decision, um, you know, whatever's in and what it's out. It's like the movie Wally, -E where everyone pushes the button and then they're in red jumpsuits and then they push the button and then they're in blue jumpsuits. Yeah, see, this whole thing gets into the bigger, like this whole idea of like uh, cultural appropriation. You can't tell that story, right? And it's the same thing. With, you can. With, it's it, just, no, no, just you're going to like, face just, the, the whatever repercussions that is. Like, I, I, so there I, was this woman from Spokane <laughs> who, who is in academia and she said, I'm, I'm a, a black woman and I'm going to teach these classes. And then, you know, she, she tanned and she grew dreadlocks and people thought, you know, she was a black woman and she had this authority. And then they found out that, no, she wasn't You're like, nobody killed her, but she, you know, she lost her authority or moral authority to teach those classes. And she wasn't a spokesman for her quote unquote people anymore. And Rachel like Dolezal. Rachel yeah. Dolezal. Yeah. That's so fascinating that we, I mean, we have, yeah, go ahead. Zorn, go ahead. Yeah. But I just wanted, I just wanted to say, it's like the, uh, um, this is just one particular, uh, aspect of this bigger thing, which is that you can't speak unless you're an expert about the thing you're speaking of, you know, it's like, uh, that's, that's the bigger thing, you know, it's like, you have to be an expert to even give your opinion on things, you know, it's like, or, or your opinion is not worth anything. Right. Um, so us, just us talking about Hamlet, right. It's like, uh, it means nothing to, to <laughs> academics, you know, it's like, it, it, it means that like, we're, we're just like, uh, amateurs just spouting off about things, you know, that, that we don't really have a, uh, a direct insight into apparently, you know, it's like, it, and that's, but across the board, broken? Why across it is, you the know, board, like... you know, is that that's what it is. We we can't have any opinion about the vaccine because we're not uh, immunologists or, or, or like specialists in the field. You know, it's like a, um, it's like every aspect of science is like that. It's like a, we're shut out of the of the priesthood. You know. And just to bring it back to the idea of authority, I think is the key thing. Um, and I know, Doug, anybody can say anything for sure, but just the idea of like, let's just be in the realm of should or, or the idea of who should have the authority or who is empowered to, you know, by kind of the edicts of the community or something like this. And, you know, these contemporary examples of science and then Rachel Dolezal, Dolezal um, which she's an interesting case because she had without going all into it, but, you know, her husband and her children were part of the community that she was represent. She was an NAACP local chapter, I believe, of Spokane. So she actually had an institutional role in an organization. 
but you know, she was certainly embedded in that culture for a lot of her life and her children and her, you know, so I'm not saying she should hold herself out to be something she's not that felt dishonest, but it, it is, um, this idea of authority, what experience qualifies one to have authority? Like, I mean, we've read this play. We're all smart people relatively, you know, somewhat smart. We have the smarts we have and we should be able to talk about it in a way that's, um, and we are, and we get to, but, you know, we might be able to inspire someone that has the imprimatur of the king, let's say, maybe a professor or, you know, you're a professor, Snore, but... I think there's a way that there's kind of bottom up conversations that flow into authority and then back down. And it's kind of like a type of appropriation, isn't it? Like Tony Hillerman, the reason why he had successful books is because he could write the novels and the, and, and he had a skill for detective stories, you know, and he could, he knew the rules of the structure of the plot. And then he chose to put the culture that he was intimately familiar with into this, he systematized it in a way that could then be capitalized, right? Okay, um, so he, um, all so the here, books here, here he, is how, he had a go ahead. Uh, here is how we can link it back to Shakespeare, because one of the big theories of who was Shakespeare, right? Who really wrote Shakespeare is the is the theory of the dark lady, right? Yeah. And so it, people believe that she was a woman of of like African descent, you know, it's like a um, and yeah, other scholars have suggested, given Shakespeare's description of her dark, dun-colored skin and black, wiry hair, that the dark lady might have been a woman of African descent. Um, and that, that's one of the that's one of the major theories. So it's like uh, maybe we can't even talk about uh, uh, Shakespeare as 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 white men. <laughs> <You know>? But <laughs> so our, I think okay, so like. Um... There is a fundamental shift going on in society right now because there was an idea of who the people were that was just, and I'm talking about like Western culture, uh, specifically the United States, that uh, like the people were like white men for the most part. Like they were the, what did we say? It, it's still, it, our representation as government is still um, illustrated in that way. But right now, it seems like things are shifting. And so the people that were in power and that had more authority um, than they maybe rightly should have based on what would be fair in terms of demographics, they're definitely threatened and feeling like, I just feel like a lot of this is coming out of something um, like we talked about this a little bit with uh, like what Obama represented in terms of um social programs and representation and um, how traditional people feel really challenged that the bedrock of society, which was the Bible, is becoming less vital or not even vital, but like it's becoming irrelevant. That if here was the document that we, we built our society on and at some point, half of the people say, hey, the document that you think we're building our society on is, is no longer valid. You know, we, we're, it's, it's not the document that we're basing society on anymore. And so they're feeling threatened. I just feel like everything is super divided right now. This is why Hamlet was interested. Like he's just, he's a, he's a wash and being torn. Um, but so like this whole country could flip and go right back to Trump, Trump zone. And it would not surprise me one little bit. Um, Likely will happen. I think it probably is going to happen. Yeah. It already is. I mean, depending on how you would measure that, like, I don't know if it ever left Trump zone in a certain way. No, I mean, I'm saying so like Trump is not in office. Uh 
but um, that doesn't mean that he's not going to win. I see. You're talking specifically about the, like, yeah. 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 But just so, it, like, the point that I'm trying to make is that it seems like the media is making a big deal about, like, the idea that um, people are being canceled all over the place. And it's like, I don't know that, I mean, Monica Lewinsky was canceled. I mean, Saturday Night Live made fun of her. Mm back in the the day like we've always canceled people it's yeah, just yeah more on the on the right before than than on the left no that's the thing that sort of shifted yeah i think so but, but we, we didn't call it cancel we just ostracized like there was like a just called it censorship which is what it is <laughs> <laughs> like like yeah you remember all the the parental advisory stickers on cds in the in the in the 80s and 90s you know tipper gore and all that you know well just to come back to i mean i I, i'm with you uh doug that basically um uh, in putting telling more stories let's put it this way marginal stories marginalized populations marginalized truths of all kinds i'm glad to see them getting thrown into the mix and and um you know, having more decentralized, if we want to go back to that idea where power can kind of flow into places and, and money that it hadn't, hadn't flown to, you know, hadn't uh, flown, <laughs> flow, uh, I guess I'm thinking plane fly and flow have the same past participle flown, is that, but, um, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and so that's all wonderful. And I, and I want to just give a, a, a categorical support of that. I just, I just hope that it can come with a, centralizing this idea of kind of open source um, authority and kind of um, authority that is kind of free flowing and open source as a sort of value. I guess that's what I'm getting at. I, I really wish people would kind of value the, and I'm going to watch, I found the video of Kirby's cultural appropriation. It looks really good um, to try to understand this maybe in a more nuanced way. But one way to go into it is like the idea of copyright. What we're really talking about when we talk about appropriate, that's money. And it's copyright law and it's literally money. And there's movements in copyright um, kind of uh, punkism, cyberpunk or whatever of COO, of open source, free copy, no copyrights at all. And how empowering that would be if we actually didn't have intellectual property as a concept, you know, and, and, in that world, um, things wouldn't be seen as, you know, kind of a monetary value. The value would come from somewhere else than owning an idea. It would come from like how you combine things, how you inspire people, you know, um, and, and, and imagine the, uh, the creativity that would be spawned from that, you know, like just drawing off of all pop culture, like everybody yeah. would be doing sync, you know, that yeah. that's basically yeah. what would, what would happen. It would, it would be amazing. You know, you, you draw all these worlds together, you know, like a, unique um, contributions would be, uh, they, they would actually, it would prevent people from stealing your unique contribution because it would be, um, the evidence, right? You would have the first tweet, you have a date stamp. This was my creation. Or you launched a video and it would be undeniable. It's like, okay, that was Jimmy, you know, you know, Susie Q that she made this new, unique, fresh combination before anybody else did. That would, that's how you would get credibility would be for the creativity, right? It wouldn't be because of the money you generated and the deal you could sign. And that's what allows the stealing is the idea of, of money assigned to the art. That's the, that's the thievery itself. Yeah. In my property view. is property is theft, you know, property that's, is theft. That's, that's a, yeah. But so we going. were having years ago, this, we were, I was, we were trying to f- figure out, okay, so <laughs> what is the economic system that's sustainable for all life? You know, how do we, how do we get there? Um, yeah. Should all life be sustained would be the question I would want to go to first. <laughs> Wait, I mean, well, <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, seriously. No, I'm, I'm talking, when I talk about life, I'm talking about like um, trees and uh, okay. bugs and like right now, 
uh, our proportion is definitely outsized. We're probably uh, a little out of balance with out of the joint. world. Kind of out of joint, yeah. Humans, humans. Um, Koyana Scotsy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you watched that? I have, yeah. It's good. Yeah. Meditative. Uh, that, that's basically what it translates to. Right? It's a time yeah, out of joint. Life out of out of joint. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think I'm leaning toward the guy's arc on, you know, the Gnostic demiurge. Like, I don't, I don't, I, it seems like uh, we, like for every step forward we take, we take about 15 backward is how it seems. Yeah. The, I don't know, the, the problem with the Gnostics or, or like there's so many different Gnostic sects, right? But the, the, the sort the of, the, the mainstream Gnostic view that this is a fallen world, right? That uh, it's, it's miserable, but I don't know how else to. <laughs> I mean, but it's 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 not like that. That that was uh, what Plotinus's um, argument toward to the Gnostics is that uh, yes, it's fallen in a sense, but basically, what is fallen is our perception of it. You know, so well, the world again, itself is is filled with light, but like it's it's our. Like again, getting back to that idea of the sun behind the sun, like seeing it through the noetic lens. Um, I mean, yeah. everything's been commodified. Like, I there's gonna have to be exchange for goods. People have to eat. People have to. They're gonna have to work and be I mean, fulfilled. That's gonna but, happen anyways. You know, it's like that. Nobody has to plan that you know it's like um but as far as like yeah it's koyana squatsi which is so out of balance get get to work the, boys the, <laughs> see i got this email yeah, i'm doing it <laughs> we're doing I, it right I now sent <laughs> sent everyone this picture of elon with his thumbs up buying twitter I mean, yeah, this is this is something that uh, David Graeber talks about, right? It's like anarchy happens at every moment, like a conversation like this, where we are e like equal members to a conversation. This is this is anarchy, anarchy in action. You know, it's like a. So his his point was to realize those moments of anarchy that exist throughout your day. You know, it's like the most of your day is not uh, is not commodified. You know, it's not it's not coded in any way. Your perception is not coded. Your your imagination is not coded, you know. Um, and and just that realization makes it all the more like, all the stronger, you know, it's like a yeah, that's what I that's how I see this is that we're actually in the ideal form of economic system of government is is um the anarchist you know, miracle it's where we are now, yeah right it's where we are every no moment, it's the anarchist like miracle <laughs> where everyone simultaneously breaks into dance <laughs> and, they, and none of and, and everyone's doing run, dances and it's and nobody runs into each other yes exactly this happens in 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 tokyo and shinjuku like the busiest station in the world right and I'm not, I used to be there every every morning right at rush hour and nobody's bumping into each other. It's like, a, <laughs> and they just sort of zone out. Like I learned how to do it. I was bumping into people at the beginning, but I learned how to just, you, you look into the far distance or as far as you can look into the distance. And then you just, it, it works. You just seamlessly weave through people, you know, and everybody's doing it at the same time. It, that, that is an, an act of anarchist miracle. So everybody's doing the dance somehow and not not bumping into each other. Do you have any student loans, SJ? I do, yeah. I've got some back from my undergrad days. So I've got some federal yeah. that uh, I, don't, I haven't serviced in a, quite a long time. I'll just be totally honest. Oh, I'm not. I'm not fishing go. for anything. I just uh, no, no. I just, I just. I'll be. I'll tell you. I mean, that's been my mentality. Is just you know, come and get it. 
and they've been pretty, um, they've been, they haven't, they've been lenient, you know, they've been, uh, they don't. Oh, the, the news this, this week is that it really looks like, I didn't think this was going to happen, but they're going to forgive. They, the government is going to forgive student loans for up to a certain amount for everyone. Really interesting. Yeah. The problem with it, the news that I've heard. So I'll give you my little spiel on this if you want, but basically it's, it's a system where um, you can't really ever, for a lot of people, there's no way to ever repay it because the interest, like you'll see these screenshots on Twitter where people are like, I've paid 70,000 or 50 or 30 or whatever it is, but I still owe the same amount that I've paid. And my, the, and the, because of the way the interest works, it kind of becomes these unpayable just loops depending on your income. And for like a lower class person, it's, it gets more likely become that. And so for Biden to say, well, 10,000 is forgiven, that actually, well, certainly some people will benefit from it. But the idea of, the, of these unpayable interest loops, it doesn't take any, but a lot of people won't be removed from that. And so it looked for it to be kind of a hollow, uh, just a hollow promise, effectively. Definitely. Yeah. Depending it's, on the number, depending on the yeah, number. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I, I paid mine off as soon as I, I, as I could. You know, I just worked my ass off and, and, and got it all paid. I think I owed like uh, 20000 initially or something like that. And I, I, just, I just worked as hard as possible and get it finished. So I didn't have to, I didn't get trapped in those interest loops, you know. Uh, to an extent, you know, the, the initial interest, right? But uh, I didn't. For, it didn't last for years and years and years. Yeah, and it's all over the system. It's not just student loans. I mean, we're talking about all kinds of well, debts and things. But yeah. It, yeah, I mean, so the student, you open a door into, especially for-profit private colleges, where you get into predatory stuff. You know, it's like when you hit campus the first time and. There are people giving you credit card forms, you know, like. Mm. It, it, I, I signed up for everyone I could and I maxed them all <laughs> out and then just repudiated. So that's my, that's my philosophy is that, it, and, you know, but anyhow, yeah. Are you, are you serious you did that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, I didn't intentionally, I just got as many as I could and I was trying to manage it for a while and then it just, it just got out of control and. Yeah, I, I mean, I've had a couple of informal bankruptcies in my life where you just stop paying, and then seven years later, it's all gone. I, I, I just didn't like that sense of being in debt, you know, like that's kind of like a, that heaviness on me, you know, I, I, I just wanted to get rid of it. Yeah, I relate to it. I guess it's just kind of a way of life, you know. Um, that's, that's what I was going to say. I don't know how. I mean, it's why our world is as bountiful as it is with the these uh, financial instruments that are driving progress. Well, this is, this is the bigger question, right? Is, is this what the great reset means is, is a, is a full reset where debt is just evaporated, you know, kind of like the old Jubilee idea, you know? Um, I, I don't know. I tend to doubt that, you know, because debt, there's been a chain of debt, since the beginning of time that that just continues right and there's another thing like david graber writes a whole book on debt did, um, did you read have you read the new david graber uh the the question the the dawn of everything no i haven't i i have it on my shelf i haven't read it yet it's big right yeah it looks great though yeah no but uh but that's the thing i don't think that's what the great reset means i don't think they're going to eliminate all debt it's still going to be on the books it has to be on the books i think well sovereign debt they're going to eliminate so the current it's about currencies i think more than actual like consumer debt and every currency is a debt instrument every pick up any dollar it's like this is you now owe to the central bank or whatever well for sure I, for sure yeah i think it has more to do with um restarting the global you know order in terms of how what's the major currencies what are they backed by how do they flow and obviously central bank digital currencies are going to be a part of it and the blockchain and it will, you know and so that's how i see the idea of what they're resetting as opposed to like you know my uh the debts of the of the of the lower classes those are all guaranteed no matter what system they set up man that you're going to be still exist 
I th- in some I think form even, or another, right? I think even sovereign debt will be still on the books, though. I don't think they'll wipe that out either, because that that's account that has to be accounted for by the by the big banks. But they well, have in the maybe. past, though. They have in the past. So, like Bretton Woods two, they wiped out the ability for the United States government to owe gold. But but so, the debt, the actual debt, still remains in the books. You know, it's like they didn't they didn't wipe it out completely. You know, it's, yeah. It's, so it's like, I mean, it's not going to be like tomorrow you go to zero. What it'll be like is okay. In the old system, I this meant something. What are you guys talking about? Uh, debt. De- debt. No, the like, government. You said something. The Great Reset. Oh, oh you don't you don't know that, Doug? No. The World no, Economic Forum, the the, yeah. the the idea that they've been propagating for a while that Who, we're in a period the called the Great, they were called the Great Reset. Yeah, Klaus Schwab's got books on it. They've got a bunch of articles on their website. The Davos Forum people, World Economic Forum people, they've the, turned the to top, the great top one hundred corporations. Right? The top, yeah, the think yeah. tanks and the corporations that control reality and control the economy are uh, advocating for something called the Great Reset, and has to do with the fourth industrial revolution. This is all their words. This isn't. This isn't some theory. This, they've 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 written about it. I mean, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's it's not conspiracy theory at all. No. At all. You at know, all. Like a, at yeah, all. Yeah. It's a propagated idea for. They believe they can change the course of the world by implementing these policies at the level of big corporations, and then the governments that um, are enthralled to them effectively and. You know, the idea is that you, it's a technifying of reality. Everything's digital and integrated, your ID. I mean, it's very complex, Doug, but the main idea Smart is cities. That, uh, yeah. yeah all Internet this, of all things, this. blockchains. Right. Um, you will and, own and, nothing. And it gets, it gets tied in with the, uh, the all the pandemic stuff, like Build Back Better. It's basically a synonym for the Great Reset. Yeah. yeah. And even Naval Harari, you know who he is, Doug, right? Yeah. Sapiens. Yeah. They got the guy that wrote the book Sapiens. He's they call him Klaus Schwab's um, right hand man, yeah. but he but he's come out recently. Davos happened this year, so they were there, and 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 um, he basically says, "Listen, the biggest problem is the useless eaters." <laughs> he calls them the people that don't have any value, and he says, "For now, video games and drugs will placate them, but um, these useless eaters." And, and then the other thing, Naval Harari says. He says the key to the pandemic, the whole key for of the the whole reason for it, the major upgrade that it will provide is giving access to inside the body, that that's a key threshold to cross. Mm-hmm. And once you give corporations access to the in, internal states of the body, that will be kind of um, a, it's a key fulcrum or a key kind of a fundamental piece of of moving us into this great reset and this fourth industrial revolution where the, the internals of the body are monitored, the surveillance state combines with the kind of biotech state um, only. Um, and that only accelerates to its full potential having access into the body. So he's saying like getting people um, used to testing, normalizing testing is a key component because it's just everywhere you go, you have to like put stuff in your body and then let that be examined by tech. Oh, nobody's testing anymore. (laughs) Well, the travel borders though, Doug, you gotta, that's the thing. Like a lot of this stuff is still in place. Oh, the pandemic's over. I I can't, I can't get back to Canada. (laughs) It's over. Masks Um, are gone. Nobody's got it. It's done. Um, uh, yeah, I just saw I just saw a uh, interview just recently with uh, I think it's a recent interview too with uh, Elon Musk, and he's he's laying out his idea of of Neuralink, which is which is really kind of fascinating. I didn't I didn't clearly know what his thoughts were on it, right? And so he he views it like what happens. I don't know if you know the the tech in it. He, he's saying you remove a piece of your skull about the size of a quarter. And then that's when you put this this implant in, which will connect you basically to the net with these these tiny wires and stuff. And so his the the short term application of this is for people with brain damage and like uh, spinal cord damage and things, right? But his his sort of philosophy behind it is that he's always so worried about the AI, like the AI developing to the point where it uh, it becomes autonomous of of humanity. And that it it just has its own its own viewpoint, and and probably it will wipe us out because we're we're looked at as being inefficient or or whatever, right? 
But so his Musk's idea behind Neuralink is that we tie the collective human will into the AI and sort of harness it basically um, so that it doesn't get away from us, you know? Uh, and uh, <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what do you make of that? You know, it's like, it, it, so does, is that, is, is that a different viewpoint than is expressed by the WEF and, uh, or is that exactly the same? You know, it's like, a, um, so in other words, are, is, is the World Economic Forum um, pro AI, pro autonomous AI? And Musk is genuinely looking at a synergistic view of, of uh, humanity plus AI, you know? Uh, 